Are you ready to become the top in your field? I'm ready. I'm ready. Welcome to the Tradeswoman Talk Podcast, a show designed for you. One that strives to forge solidarity amongst tradeswomen. For years, this has been predominantly a male-driven industry. However, we are now entering a new era, one where whatever we truly desire can be ours. Like we have been saying for years, jobs don't have genders. On this show, we'll share information with each other as a collective to empower each other. I love being a part of such a great community. Share with us your trade secrets as we share ours with you. It's our time to do more than survive. It's our time to thrive. We're happy to have you here with us on the Tradeswoman Talk Podcast. And now your host of the show, Judeline Cassidy. Judeline Cassidy. Welcome and thanks for joining me on another episode of Tradeswoman Talk. My name is Judeline Cassidy. I am a plumber, keynote speaker, and the founder of the nonprofit organization Tools and Tiaras Inc. and your host. On today's bonus episode of Tradeswoman Talk, I have an awesome guest, a woman that I love and admire, Cynthia Pang. So before I start my convo with Cynthia, I would love to read her bio. Cynthia Pound is a public defender turned career coach who is on a mission to empower women of color to get more money, power, and respect that they deserve. Her work has been featured in HuffPost, Refinery29, Supermaker, and more. And she was one of Lincoln's top voices of 2019. Cynthia specializes in strategizing with mid-career women of color professionals who are pursuing unconventional paths. She's a proud introvert, a classic middle child, and unapologetic Rottweiler enthusiasts. So Cynthia, I want to say thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Tradeswoman Talk. And it's a pleasure to have you because you are a ray of sunshine every time I talk to you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for this honor. I have been looking forward to being on this podcast with you for ages. And I'm so just in awe and I admire you for everything that you've done in your career, this podcast being one of those things. Thank you. Thank you. So Cynthia, I love to get to know my guests. So before we move on to our little convo, I would love to have you participate in our five and five segment. The way it works is yeah. I have five questions and you could only choose one of the two mm-hmm. options. So you can't like cheat like well, a lot of my guests right. try to. I've, I've heard. <laughs> Both right. either. Yeah. I've heard. Okay. So Cynthia, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. She's ready. Okay. <laughs> Which do you prefer, books or movies? Books. Books. You have to recommend a feminist book to a young female. Which book would you recommend? We All Should Be Feminists or Speeches and Essays by Audre Lorde? That's an impossible choice. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to go with Audre Lorde. Nice. I figured you would. I knew you was going to go. Okay. Which do you prefer? A beach house or cabin in the mountains? Beach house. Mm, beach house. I thought the introvert and you would go to the mountains, but I love the beach No, I was torn a little bit, but you said I had to pick one. (laughs) Okay. Video conferencing choice, Zoom or Skype? Zoom. Nice. You were given the ability to travel back in time. What era would you visit? The 60s 
or the 80s? The 60s. Definitely. That's cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That was so fun. Yes, thank you for participating in our five and five. I love doing that with my guests because I get to learn stuff about them too. So thank you so yeah. much. So before we move on, yeah. I want to say that the reason why I brought Cynthia on is because right now we're experiencing high unemployment for many, many people. And um, sometimes we have to take a step back and figure out what it is drives us, what is our passions, and what is our why. And I could sincerely say that I was struggling at some point and wanting to figure out where should I go. And it came to me that, hey, maybe you need a coach. And once I aligned myself with that in the universe, a lot of different women were coming up in my preview or LinkedIn or whatever. Just like I didn't say it. It was just in my thought, whether it be a book, different people were coming up. And I remember somehow like I, I follow you, but I never I mean, I followed you, but I didn't really pay attention, you know, intuitively what you did. And I saw that you were a coach. I was like, what? So. Everybody, I'm a stalker. I I already mentioned that I love stalking amazing <laughs> women because they inspire me. And I DM'd her like, hey, I know you posted that you're pretty full and you're not accepting any more clients. Would you please <laughs> take me on as a client? And she's so kind, people. She said and yes. You. So I brought her on. <laughs> yes, she said yes. And she's changed my life in a lot of ways, even though she might be very shy and I want to admit that, but she has. And I recommend her to a lot of yeah. women and people because of what she's done. So Cynthia, like we were saying, like a lot of people and especially women of color, very much employed during this time. And you have this way of explaining and stripping down things that were barriers. Like I will just say, mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. I wasn't really Maybe I know it was there, but really not acknowledging. Yeah. What would you say is one of the first steps that somebody who has been laid off uh-huh. and thinking about relaunching themselves, what they should do? Okay. So this is something I talk about a lot because I think that our mental health is so, so important. And if you go through an experience that, I'm going to say is, is traumatic, you know, to some degree of being laid off, being furloughed, losing your job. That's going to bring up a lot of emotions for you that are really valid and need space to be processed. So I know that for some people, because we live within capitalism and there's so much inequity in this country from racism, from sexism, from white patriarchy, I know that a lot of women of color may not have the ability or the luxury to like pause for a second before trying to find that next thing to be able to continue paying the bills and all that stuff. So I'm going to give you like a two, like a bifurcated answer. One is that if you can make sure that in whatever way, like you do take that chance to address the feelings that you're feeling and to find ways to honor them to move through them and not simply bottle them up and compartmentalize them. Cause you're like, just, I just got to get on to the next thing because the danger of doing that is that it, it actually builds up. And I just, I just texted you actually, Judalyn, this, 
this article in Medium that many of your listeners probably have already seen or read, and maybe you have as well, but it's about how, you know, the, the chronic stress that Black women in particular carry and face, and then medical ramifications of that, the health problems and all that stuff. So that's why I'm always talking about, like, we have to take care of our mental health and trying to destigmatize talking about it. So that's the first kind of branch. Like, if you are able, like, process the emotions and, and address all those things, you know, with or without professional help, whatever you can do for some people, you know, they're not into therapy. So maybe you find your healing in another way. Like you've talked about listening to music and finding healing in that way. So that's like kind of like sound therapy to some people or your support networks, maybe religious organizations, family members, friends, like wherever you get your support, like lean on them for in that time. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And so the second thing is, you know, if you are in that position where you're like, I, I literally just need to figure out where the next dollars are coming from because I need to put food on the table, something like that, then I get that you may not have the time to fully process. But as soon as you're able to, after that, you know, after you get that next job or you've put some things in motion, then take the time, like, don't ignore that and just be like, well, it's done and like sweep it under the rug. Like the next chance you're able to, please take the time for yourself to address and heal and cry or scream or read or be quiet or whatever it is, you know, that can restore you. That's really the first thing I think people should, should try to do. If they can. I, I agree with you because I know when I was, I was laid off for a while as mm-hmm. a plumber and I had to go through the mental stuff that you were saying. And I, it was yeah. so hard as a black woman, like we so, historically been taught to like carry all of these things because we are strong and deal with that and then I started meditating Mm -hmm. a lot more make it really like a practice and in those moments like the the stuff about the coaching the different things maybe I can start a speaking business and like I started to make a pivot so I agree with you the mental assessing yourself and honor those feelings I agree with that and then I, I also agreed like I, when I first got into this country and I was a housekeeper and mm-hmm. lost my job as a housekeeper, mm-hmm. I had to get food from the food pantry, Yeah, you know? So, yeah. you know, finding resources that can help you, it's no shame that yeah. most Americans, we, within nine to 10 of us, are mm-hmm. two paychecks away from being, right. yeah, so I totally agree with you. And it's not your fault, you know, if that's, that's because the system is designed to keep a small minority of people in power and the vast majority of people disempowered. And it's, I, I say this to clients like a lot, like it's so corny, but like, I think we benefit from hearing it as women of color that it's not our fault and that it is, is okay to ask for help or to like get the money that you should be getting, you know, whether that is a mutual mm-hmm. aid thing, applying for a grant, setting up your own fundraiser or asking for a raise, you know, it's, it's all kind of, the yeah. same concept is that we need to take back more space and demand the fair wages and respect that we deserve. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to ask you, how did you make this transition from your bio? It was said that you were a district attorney and now you were one of the most awesome coach. I like the word ultimate, even though it's, right. probably, you know, but how did that happen you making that transition? Right. So I was a public defender for six years almost. And that was the only thing that I wanted to do. Like it was my goal for the longest, but I started burning out of doing that work. I 
I couldn't really like emotionally handle just every day, day in and day out, thinking about my clients who were poor people of color from the Bronx. So like black and brown clients constantly being sent to jail, being under the police state, being in jail, like just the whole thing. It was really like took a psychological toll on me and I didn't know how to leave the work at work kind of thing. So it was just it became all encompassing and I was extremely stressed out. And it made me not be able to do my job in the mm-hmm. way that I wanted to because, you know, that kind of secondary or vicarious trauma was manifesting itself in not good ways, you know? So I was like, I can't, this is not why I wanted to do this work. I'm not showing up for my clients in the same way that I want to. And so I need to figure out what's what's going on with me. So I took a unpaid sabbatical, which I was lucky to have because we were unionized. And I had to do some like deep thinking. Like first I had to restore myself, like the stuff I was talking about before. Um, I had to take, I just had to check out and take a break and do the things that I put off doing for myself right. for years. And so after I did that and I felt back to like some version of myself again, I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do next? And I got it into my head that I wanted to work for myself. I wanted to start my own business because I'm, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm pretty anti-authoritarian. I don't do well within institutions <laughs> and systems. Um, yeah, I just work yeah. better on my own. So I was like, let me yeah. work for myself. And I, I start right. the first version of my business though, Judalyn, I don't even know if you know this. I, I was like, I want to help make social justice organizations and nonprofits better. Like I want to make them not be, right. you know, so toxic or negative for their employees, for their staff uh-huh. and like be more efficient and like all that stuff. So basically I wanted to be a nonprofit consultant, but it did not work. <laughs> I tried for like six months to get work doing that. And all I got was a pro bono unpaid gig. And it, it was, it turned out fine. Like from my perspective, like I'm proud of the work I turned over to them, but yeah. it, it was not ideal in many ways. So then I had to pivot. I pivoted a couple of times during this time. I was working a part-time job at a farmer's market so that I had money and and then like, finally, things sort of clicked. Like I was like, I miss working with people one-on-one because I'm an introvert and working on like deep change. Like that's ultimately what drove me to want to be a public defender. I really wanted to help be a little bit of a catalyst in my clients' lives to, I don't know, it was so corny and like naive and also like a little paternalistic to think that I could have that role in their lives. But like, that was what I was looking for the the ability to help somebody make positive change in their life. But like I, the system didn't allow for that. Like the criminal legal system is not the place for that. It's just not really space for it by and large. So I was like, I miss working with clients one-on-one. And then I was like, what if I do this coaching thing? I thought it was a total experiment, but it worked. And then I kept doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And she's doing it and she's doing it, doing it well. She, she does. And so what is the most like since you you know primarily work with women of color, what is the primarily common thread of the disadvantage you notice that they speak on? Like what is that common? So that by identifying yeah. it and naming it, we can also now make a change for it. What was that common thread you find? I would say that the top one is not wanting to advocate for ourselves, like not wanting to put ourselves first ever because we're socialized that it's selfish 
um, that we're, you know, somehow being bad if we ever put our own interests ahead or just focus on our own interests for a certain period of time. And it's not like anything shocking either. Like this is literally how we're socialized as girls, young women, and then women. Like our place is supposed to be, we hold together the home, you know, we take care of the children, we take care of the generation above. Cause there's also that like, you know, filial piety, you gotta like take care of the parents and the elders too. We're the backbone of our communities, our neighborhoods in the workplace. We're the ones like organizing the, you know, back when we did work in the same workplaces, like we're organizing the birthday lunch or like whatever for so-and-so and like this heading this committee or that committee. So a lot <laughs> of it, it, the emphasis is on the communal, like the community, the team, others. And so it's really hard for a lot of my clients. And I would say maybe us okay. also, you and me, would be like, you know, I'm doing this thing mm -hmm. for me. Like I'm investing in me with this thing or like yeah, I'm going to ask yeah, for that yeah. raise or the promotion. It's really hard. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it really isn't, especially for women. So a, a big demographic of like people who listen to us are tradeswomen. And yeah. a lot of tradeswomen, we tend to get laid off first. So like in construction, for those who are listening and don't know, it's part of being a construction worker. You work in a building for like six months, a year or two years, and the job will come to an end. Or it could be during the time that you're working on a job site, something happened. But a lot of times the women are the first to go. But I've noticed if we as women shift our thinking and really a lot of times we are the leaders in the job and we don't get the money. I've been where I'm basically the foreman, the person running a job and right. not getting the actual pay. How would you, what advice would you give to, to women working in construction that she can hone her skills to speak up for herself to, to get those leadership roles? Mm. Okay. So it might feel a little intimidating to want to have to start doing that in the workplace setting. So I would actually suggest finding another context of your life mm. where you start building that muscle a little more. So where you're probably already doing it a little bit or where you're more comfortable doing that and mm. then building that muscle. Because a lot of this stuff is about shifting our thinking, but it is also like building a muscle, like working out. And if you do something over and over, one repeated motion, like one type of job, you know, on a construction site or anywhere else, you get really good at it, right? So, yeah, so I would yeah. say practice somewhere else first until you get comfortable enough so that you don't feel like, so that you're then more able to stand up for yourself, you know, on the construction site. So maybe that's in the home or maybe it's with your friends or maybe it's some committee that you're involved in in your neighborhood or anything else like that. Think of the different places where you are active and involved and could you start doing it there? So you gain the confidence and it, it becomes then you can just translate it right over to the workplace. And what I what I think that you said earlier when we were just on my Instagram live about how it took one person, yeah. you know, one man uh, who was in the union or whatnot to basically vouch for you and open up that door so that other other men could be like, okay, follow suit and trust you or build that relationship or advocate for you or whatnot. So I think beyond the the sort of speaking up for yourself 
a lot of it is building stronger relationships with the men. And you can see things with a bit of a face because I wish it like didn't have to be like this. But but yeah, making sure that you invest in those relationships in a strategic way so that you can leverage them and make sure that you're not the one who's on the chopping block the next time the layoffs or whatever is happening. Because you need, it's kind of like managing up. Like I talk a lot about this, like dealing with a supervisor who's not really your advocate and how to make them your ally. It's like, it's step-by-step. Step. Like you, you find a way to reach one person and then mm -hmm. like maybe then you're accepted into their little friend group or whatever at work and then you can expand it to the point where everyone is somewhat of your ally and you're not like the first to go yeah i agree with that because a lot of times you know it don't happen anymore to me but and we have a lot of mm -hmm. tradeswomen all over the country a lot of times mm -hmm. you're the only one the only yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not the only one anymore but i remember like it was yesterday, being the only one. And I wish I mm -hmm. had some of the knowledge, which everything happens when it's supposed to, how to deal with being the only one. So I don't know, you know, from your experience, even though you may not mm -hmm. be in a trade, you have probably been the only one in a lot of situations that you could be, especially like working in the DA's office or, you know. Oh, I was in the, I was at Legal Aid, the other side the, of that. The other side of that. Job. You know, actually, there. I have to say, I've always worked in places where there are a lot of women, but in places where there's that vertical segregation. Like, there's a lot of women at the bottom and even the middle levels, but then when you get to the top, it's all men, usually white men. Um, but I, but I do want to speak to that, like be, having to be the only one or having to be the first, because I think a lot of people, a lot of my clients face that whether they're the first to go to college, first to graduate from college, the first to get a graduate degree, that type of thing. So it's, it's really hard. Like it's an extra burden. And the truth is though, like you were alluding to the nature of that means you have to be the one to cross the barrier and try to like befriend the men or like try to build rapport with the white folks or whatever it is. There's going to be some of that that you have to carry if you're if you're committed to staying in that place. There's also nothing wrong with leaving. Like I was just talking to my spouse earlier about like a lot of times when I've clients who are in toxic workplaces, I'm like, okay, so you've tried five different ways. It's not making any difference. Do you want to leave? You know, maybe there's somewhere else. And like I think that either either option is fair. You know, it's a personal choice for the person and. So if you're in one trade that is, or like one union or one segment of the industry where you're always the only woman, like, can you align or find the ones where it's, you're not the only one, like, you know, the example of you, you were talking about now where you're not the only yeah. plumber who's a woman, right? No, no, not anymore. Uh, and I think uh, like finding a, a sisterhood of, um, exactly. of a circle, because I know for a long time, before social media as much as I dislike some of it and I like some of it because of like there's groups for tradeswomen like tradeswomen chat or you know national organization with mm -hmm. women in construction if you're tradeswomen I think mm -hmm. I have seen the benefit of my life by aligning myself with like you said mm -hmm. a sisterhood of circle like getting mm -hmm. a mentor getting a circle of, um, yeah. a circle of support definitely and that actually mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense 
I'll say two things about that. The panel where I first met you in person, there was a firefighter there. I don't remember her name. She was super cool. We talked and we exchanged info somehow, but I can't think of her name right now, but she was awesome and a huge fan of yours. So like, obviously the fact that you're in plumbing and she's a firefighter is no issue with, you know, like you're both still aligned and in solidarity with each other. The second thing I'll say is that there have been a lot of networking studies done about how men's networks differ from women's. And so for women, it's not necessarily like you don't have to have a huge broad network, but the women who rise the fastest and the highest or whatever and, and wherever they work or to get to their goals or whatnot, they tend to have a small circle of other women who they really trust. And so they can share information and support each other with tactics, strategies, connections, all of that stuff in a way that having like a broad and shallow network, that's not going to get you as much of. So what you're saying actually really aligns with some of these studies out there. Thank you. Thank you. I really, really at once being an introvert didn't want to do that. (laughs) I know know everyone was like, I know everyone was like shocked that I'm an introvert, you know, I, I did, I did the test. I'm I'm an introvert, uh, the questions, but I, I had to learn and I'm still trying to navigate doing that, like just being able to be in a circle and uh, get in support. And especially for women of color, we may have amazing circle of support, but we don't know how to ask for help and then receive the help because people offer us and right. we're like, no, I don't want to trouble yes. you. You might be, I'm good. I'm okay. Right. And I'm uh, don't okay. do that. If you, you know, you need help. Really, I I'm getting better at asking and um, getting help. And some of it is because of like working with you and really seeing that I wasn't doing that or leveraging the network that you have. So a lot of tradeswomen, you might already have the right. network there, but right. you're not utilizing it to propel yourself to be in a better position. And I would say, learn your your trade as much as you could. Don't, you know. Take it for granted. You have, it sucks. And this is where we at and it's going to change. I had to learn to be twice as good, you know, and we shouldn't have to be, but it did ensure that I worked longer yeah. and I wasn't on the first rungs of layoff. I wasn't on the second. But when we get down to the, you know, the next set of layers, you know, the cousins and the friends and the, mm-hmm. that, that network, I would get layoff. You know what I mean? But I think that helped me a lot. Just being a master at my craft helped a lot. Yeah, it's true. I mean, excellence is, it's, it's always, it's always crucial. It's kind of like, sadly enough, there's a, there's a phrase in, in the law, I guess it's, necessary but not sufficient so like you need it but it may not necessarily be enough right so like you have to be excellent and then you also it still may not be enough well you know i want to learn a little bit about you so growing up like you just seem to me to be this person who like a fierce fighter for injustice. Like I could see you having like a, a show and you have that, that cape was like, why are you being, uh, you know, given injustice? Uh, why are you treating women of color that way? I can see that growing up. Were you <laughs> always like that, that, that fierce fire of fighting for mm-hmm. something you believe in? I don't think I, okay. So when I grew up, I, 
I remember two kind of pivotal moments. One okay. was one time when I might have been, I don't know, 10 or 13 or something like that. I was walking along the street and there was a homeless guy who was asking for money. And he said something specifically to me, like, what's up, kid? Or like something like to me specifically. And like, I was very, you know, I'm sure I learned this from people around me, but I was just like, you know, not trying to make eye contact and like, you know, stuff like that, that's kind of messed up because it's dehumanizing, you know, but like also because Mm -hmm. I felt awkward, I didn't know what to do and didn't have any money to give the guy. So that was something that really stuck with me over time. And after that, I was like, you know, I should really do something about just like poverty or like inequality within capitalism. So that was one thing that was a big moment as I was growing up. And maybe that spurred me into doing more like just the usual stuff that like a suburban like kid, like, you know, I went to like schools where it was mostly white kids, like what a suburban white kid would do, which is like do the volunteer key club thing, you know, where you like volunteer at a food pantry once a year, like stuff like that. So like then I was like doing things like that, but without much of a consciousness. But when I went to college, I went to a really special like student of color only orientation program for three days where we had a lot of workshops on racism, classism, sexism, homophobia, all of that stuff and how everything intersects. And I met like 200 other really cool incoming first year students of color. So that really revolutionized my life. And that was the moment that I got politicized because I learned about all these things and how you know, kids that I was in college with and in the same place with had such different backgrounds from me. Like they didn't have security in terms of like a home or like a living situation. So some of them had been homeless. Some of them never had health insurance growing up. And all of these things actually blew my mind because I, I grew up like with class privilege and stuff like that. So I, that just really like left a huge impact. So after that, first, I wanted to be a community organizer. Then I did an internship (laughs) working with a healthcare workers union in LA. And Mm -hmm. I I, I sucked at it. Like I was so bad. We had to canvas and do door knocking. And I was terrible at it because of the introvert thing and social anxiety and all this stuff. It was was so hard. And I was like, (laughs) I can't do this. So then I was like, maybe I can become a lawyer and try to make change from within the system. Yeah, that's awesome. So, So, you know, there's a question that I ask every person that's most of the time has been on the podcast. Like, what is the one thing that fuels you and helps you to know that despite what you might be going through, that it's going to be all right? What is that one thing that you do that helps you during difficult times know that, you know what, it's going to be all right? So... The thing is, I'm kind of cynical. (laughs) And so it is hard for me to find the hope in a lot of things. But what I do get motivated by is looking at other people who are out there and like activists who are out there right now, you know, being super vocal, you know, the Black woman who founded Black Lives Matter looking at how they just continue to fight every day and other people, more regular people too, you know, who are standing up to white supremacy or any of the other difficult systems. My past clients when I was a public defender, I don't know, thinking about other people who 
have it worse than mm-hmm. me for sure and yet continue to fight then i'm like okay i have no excuse no, not- and that motivates Thank me you. to try to be better Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Before we we move on and we say goodbye, which I hate to say I goodbye, know. how can someone get in touch with you and how can someone connect with you? And we will also share those links in the podcast details. So yeah. can you can just tell us. Definitely. So my website is embracechange.nyc and you can get a lot, a lot of free resources on there. I have worksheets. I've got a blog. But the thing I'm most excited about that's on my website right now is I have these free downloadable COVID-19 career guides specifically for women of color. And they're divided into three three types, but you can download all three if you want. There's entrepreneurs, there's career changers, and there's job seekers. And so I've actually heard though from other women of color who don't even identify as any of those that using the exercises and the materials in there has been helpful to them. So even if you don't, like you're not looking for a job and you're not trying to change right now, there are things in there for you still. So check that out. You can go to embracechange.nyc, click on the purple banner and download all three of those. For my free career advice, you can follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn. On Instagram, I'm at embracechangenyc and on LinkedIn, you know, you have, you can search by my name. That's the easiest, Cynthia Pong. And yeah, I actually, for those of you who are thinking about career change, I have a book coming out in like a month, in July, (laughs) July 2020, it should be out. And it's a career change guide, a super practical career change guide for women of color. Shares a lot of my own story, but also has a lot Mm -hmm. of practical (laughs) exercises and strategies that you can apply and help guide yourself through the process because I know it can be really hard. Yeah, it can be really hard, but she helps you make it easier. She really does. <laughs> and you. and on LinkedIn, she gives so many good advice and like she shares all her knowledge freely and lovingly. And that's what I, I, I love about her most. And I hope that if you listen to our voices and you've been inspired by what we have said or what we have talked about, that you can be a catalyst for change in a woman's life on the construction site. You are in that leadership role. Step up and be a hero like I had so many heroes that step up for me. So I'll say goodbye. And Cynthia and I just was just like, it was so much fun talking to you. And yes. And just remember everyone listening to our voices that someone out there is waiting patiently for you to be their hero. And in turn, after you show up being their hero, they're going to be someone else's hero. So have fun and look for the good. And until next time, I'm looking forward to see you again on another episode of Tradeswoman Talk. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Tradeswoman Talk podcast. Stay connected with us directly through www.toolsandtierras.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tools and Tierras. I always follow them. I always follow them. If you would like to connect with us, please send us an email through info at toolsandtierras.org. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, make sure you let someone know how magnificent they truly are.